as the children leave, I'm reminded of a, one of my favorite stories. A little boy was sitting at a table surrounded by crayons and markers and pieces of paper. And he was scribbling and, and drawing with intensity that would have made Michelangelo proud. His teacher walks over and says, what you drawing? And he looks up and then goes back to his drawing. I'm drawing a picture of God. And his teacher whispers in his ear, but no one knows what God looks like. And without a missing a beat, without looking up, he says to her, they will when I'm done. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about today's passage. Not that you're going to know what God looks like, but the second mystery that we deal with. How do we get along in the church? I like what the poet once said. The poet put it this way. To dwell above with the saints we love. Now that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Isn't it interesting that our friend, the Apostle Paul, in every one of the books that he pens under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit spends time talking about how to get along in the church? Hmm. I'm not real bright, but I'm seeing a pattern. Peter dives in on this, and Peter says there is a pattern. And there's something I want you to see, he says. He says, yes, you've learned how to deal with the government. Yes, you've learned how to deal with work. Yes, you've learned how to deal with marriage. But now let's get to the nitty-gritty. How do you deal with the people called the church. He goes, I've got four things for you to know. He says, it begins with the right attitude. It moves to the right action. It then requires having the right standard. And it finishes by having the right incentive. So let's dive in the right attitude. Verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 8, the right attitude. 
In this attitude, the apostle will show us five spiritual virtues that are the foundation of our attitude. And friends, I need coffee is not one of them. That is not part of having the right attitude. Well, for some of you it might be. But, but that's not one of them that's there. And in fact, the five become three that point to one. Did you catch that? The five become three that point to one. It's called a chiastic structure or a chiasm. It's a literary tool that we find especially in Psalms. In fact, uh, if you take your hands, I'll demonstrate how it works. Uh, it, it's really an X, but we can do it as a triangle. You have two parallels here on the bottom, and then another parallel, and then it ends at the peak, at the most important part. Now here's how it begins. It begins with the right attitude. Have unity of mind. So finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So have unity of mind. This is a harmony together. This is a oneness. And that only comes from a commitment to a biblical truth. It is our commitment to biblical truth and our desire to use God's Word as our common ground that produces an inward unity of heart with each other. It is this heart that can withstand the pressures of persecution. It can withstand the testing that this world will throw at us. It is when we are united in truth, our love begins to flourish. Because truth transforms us. We begin to demonstrate God's love for each other. And a love for each other that despite our faults and shortcomings, we stand together. Now, unity of mind is paired with humility, the last one. So if you have the unity of mind, humility. Now, that is so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, we live in the day of a social media culture. It's all about me. I want to be a social media influencer. I don't actually want to do anything, but I want to promote myself. And if I get enough people to buy into my image, I project they're going to buy into everything I suggest. They're going to buy the shampoo. They're going to buy the cereal. They're going to buy the restaurants that I go to. And I'm going to get paid thousands of dollars to do nothing. Unless my mom and dad bribe a college. It doesn't matter that I've never done anything of worth or importance with my life. It doesn't matter whether or not I've tried to improve my life. I just need to promote me. How different than our Savior. The one who left heaven and humbled himself. The one who left heaven giving us 
himself. He gave up what he deserved to take on what he did not deserve so we could not get what we deserve but received what we did not deserve. Humility keeps pride in check. It keeps me humbling, search, humbly searching the Word. And it's that humility that keeps me from being arrogant. It's that humility that keeps me from hurting my brothers and sisters. It's that humility that says, I'm not sure I'm right. Let's go back to the Word and find out truth. Unity of mind. Humility. Then the next step was sympathy. That's the ability to share the same feeling. We unite on truth and we share the pain of others, even others we may not know well. What made the early church so powerful was it was the ones who ran towards suffering. It ran towards the plague. It ran towards those in need. It ran towards pain. In Rome, it was known for going around at night and finding the babies that had been thrown on the streets to die and to raise them as their own. In India, it was known as the place that took in girls who would have been sold into slavery and raised them as their own. In Guatemala today, it is the church known for taking in girls who are abused by their families and raising them and giving them an education. It is known for places like Cornerstone and St. Michael, which helps mothers who want an option to give birth and raise their children, but they have no resources. It is places like Teen Challenge that take in young men and women who are fighting addiction and give them a chance and has the highest success rate around. It is places like Love, Inc., the Food Closet, the Blessing Closet. It is the Salvation Army. It is people like you who bring the sympathy of Christ to your neighbors and your friends and your family. But see, sympathy is paired with a tender heart. This is a visceral word. It has an emotional impact. It means to be so impacted by what others go through that you feel it deeply. This is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And you can't help it. It is to be so passionately moved with compassion. It doesn't let you sit on the sidelines. You have to do something. Passivity is not a choice. Not caring is not a choice. You must move. You must do something. It beats within your chest like a beating drum. It haunts you. And the two aid, the first two in keeping us on track. Humility walks hand in hand with tenderness. Pride does not have a home in sympathy, but unity of mind does. And finally, the peak. It all ties together. Brotherly love. Unselfish care 
beginning in the family of God. Learning to love the family of God. I was talking with someone this week. You know, that's hard. Loving the family's hard. Loving strangers is easy. Loving people you don't know, that's easy. But people you know, people who you know they're fallible here on earth that we're going to be with for eternity. Yet, when we have an attitude, I need to love them. When they hurt me, I need to love them. I know they don't deserve my love at times, but I need to love them. I know my family's a challenge, but they're my challenge. I can have sympathy with them. I can have a tender heart towards them because I will love them like family. I can be humble in my actions and have unity of mind because I will love them. I will learn how to forgive them. I will sometimes have to hold them accountable. And brotherly love is the tie that binds. I remember communion as a kid. We would sing at the end of communion this hymn. And the, ta- the, the, the song had this line. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. It is by our love for each other that the world knows we are His. Oh, friends, have an attitude of love. Love for your family. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're going to probably have to forgive a lot along the way. You might even have to forgive someone today. But love your family. The right attitude goes to the right action. Notice 1 Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to you this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Do not. Do not. Command, imperative. You will under no circumstances do this. It is off limits. One of my favorite comedians of the past is Bob Newhart. Yeah, some of you who are old enough to know who I'm talking about, he's hilarious. Those of you who are younger, YouTube him. And one of his sketches was that of a psychiatrist. 
And he had this lady come in, and she, she was all just very concerned. And she, she would walk through the door, and she sat down. She began spilling out all her problems. And he looked at her in his psychiatrist way, and he says, Oh, I have an answer. You need to write this down. She's got her pen out. He says, It's going to be easy. It's two words. Stop it! And she would say, well, what about this? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Stop it. Well, what about this? Stop it. And she goes, well, I like to wash my hands a lot. Oh, that's okay. But the rest of it, stop it. That's what this means in the Greek. Stop it. Stop doing evil for evil. Stop reviling. Stop it. How do we act when people come at us? Do we give them evil? Do we plan on returning evil for evil? Do we think about how to destroy them? How we're going to eliminate them at work? How we're going to undermine them? How are we going to make sure they know never to mess with us again? Stop it. Well, what about, what about our mouth? How do we use our words? Do we use our words to, to counter their arguments, but do we stoop to their level? Do we call them the names? Do we use lies? Do we use deceptions? Do we have, use half-truths to give them a taste of their own medicine? Stop it. Now. We're supposed to bless. Bless? Bless them. How? Well, number one, love them. I don't want to. Stop it. Just do it. Pray for their salvation. Oh, you don't know them. They are evil. Okay, then they need to be saved. Well, they claim to be a Christian. Then they need to grow in Jesus. Pray that they would. Here's a crazy one. Give thanks to the Lord for them. In fact, God, would you bless them? Would, would, you, would, would you bless them? And lastly, would you forgive them? As God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You know, we often think we're better than we are, don't we? Do you realize what God forgave for you compared to what you have to forgive? Your sin put Jesus on the cross. So did mine. I think I can forgive the person who hurt me in this situation. The next step 
is have the right standard. 1 Peter chapter 3, 10-11 For whoever desires good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Seat. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. When we approach our Bibles, we need to understand something. The New Testament writers viewed the Old Testament as the final word on issues. It was their trump card. It was the ace. It was the settler of the dispute. It was the final authority. So Peter goes back to Psalm 34 to prove his point. He wants us to know that this is settled. He says, you want to have the right standard? You want to, you want to love life? You want to see good days? Here's your standard. Live it. He's saying, don't take my word. Take God's. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. How much trouble does your tongue cause? Let me put it this way. How many churches have been destroyed by a tongue? How many families have been destroyed by a tongue? How many lives have been destroyed by a tongue? How many reputations have been destroyed by a tongue? It has been said that the average pastor leaves a church they are serving because of four people in the church and what they're saying about the pastor. And that's even in a megachurch. The power of a tongue. Notice the first two attacks. Evil. Destruction. It carries with it destructive talk. It's the idea of destroying the individual, their reputation, their lives. The other's deceit. There's no truth. Have you ever met a person who just lies to lie? You ask them a question and they just tell you a lie. They have no reason to lie. It's just so ingrained in their nature that they just lie to lie. They begin shading the truth just to shade the truth. They lie so much that they don't even know they're lying anymore. He's saying, don't do that. And then he gets down to the nitty-gritty. Turn from it. Run from it. Don't even look at it. And replace it with good. Replace it with what is excellent, in worth, in quality. Seek, pursue, seek as if you're on a treasure hunt. Turn over every stone. Look under every walk until you find what you're looking for. Run after it until you catch it. It reminds me of the old Rocky movie. Remember Rocky? In the very first movie, his, his coach says, you're too slow. So he takes him out to a yard and he has him chase a chicken have you ever chased a chicken I have my folks raised chickens and they got out through the help of my Saint Bernard <laughs> did you know they're fast 
And did you know that they can turn on a dime? Oh, my goodness. And in the movie, Rocky has to chase and chase and chase. And his great victory is when he catches the chicken and he holds it up like a trophy. Now, I don't know if he had it for dinner that night. But the fact of the matter is, he finally got it. That's the picture here. Finally catching it. Finally getting it. Finally doing it. Seek it. Pursue it. Seek peace. Pursue peace until you catch it. Until you're holding it in your hands. Finally, the right standard. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Excuse me, the right incentive. In the midst of persecution, it's easy to forget that God has His eyes on His children. His eyes are on those that belong to Him. You see, Peter is talking to those that belong to God and they have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon them. He has become their righteousness. And because of that, His ears are open to their prayers. He's watching. And now he wants to, to listen. I think of Gladys. Gladys Alleyward. Gladys, right at the time of World War II, she had a hundred orphans in China. And she was leading those orphans. She was leading them across the mountains, trying to escape the Japanese and take them to a place of safety. And it was just her and assistant. And they were going through the mountains. And she did not know how to feed these 100 orphans. She didn't know how to get them to safety. And as they were going over the mountains, she fell down one day just crying out, this is too much for me. It's too much, God. And a 13-year-old girl looked at her and reminded her of, of their favorite Bible story, Moses crossing the Red Sea. And she goes, but I'm not Moses. And the girl goes, of course not. But Jehovah's still God. And He will see us through. Jehovah is still God. And she said it was depending on the God who heard her prayers that got the kids to safety. In fact, you can actually see a movie made about her journey. 
Jehovah is still God. And friends, today when you leave, I want to remind you, He's still God and He is watching His people. He is listening to their prayers. And ears are open to your prayers. Do you remember what happened in 2013? Remember that little kid, Grayson? I think it was Grayson Clamp. Three-year-old had been born with without the ability to hear, and they did a very special surgery. He couldn't even use the, uh, I think, the, the implanted implants. So they found a way to implant straight to his brain. And there was a beautiful YouTube video of it. And so they planted it right to his brain, and the procedure was so successful and on YouTube today, look up Grace and Clamp, and you will see the look of joy and wonder when he heard his father's voice for the very first time. I know that our Heavenly Father is listening for your prayers. He takes joy in your prayers, the joy of the prayers of his people, the people that he loves, the people who he has given his son for. The passage also closes with a warning. It's a warning to the unrepentant. It's saying, God will resist you. But it's also an encouragement. It's saying, but you, you who belong to him, don't fear. Because that wording there, that last phrase, is a lifestyle of rebellion. A lifestyle of practicing evil. A heart so hard it doesn't respond. Bond. And every time the child of God sins and says, oh, I've done wrong. I need to return to my father. That is, that is God's spirit speaking to your spirit and reminding you, you belong to him. Right attitude, right action, right standard, right incentive. But is it enough? Can it really change us? I'm reminded of a pastor who went to Tobago. He went to a leper colony there. As he was there, he was leading worship, much like Brad did this morning. There was a woman who sat in front of him. She sat with her back towards him. She never looked at him until the very, very end. 
very end, she turned and faced him. He wasn't prepared. For the leprosy had taken her nose and taken her ears. Where there was supposed to be a nose and where there was supposed to be an ear, their ears, there was just holes. She held up her hands to get his attention. There were no fingers. And she said, Pastor, can we sing one more? Can we sing, count your many blessings? Because that's what I want to sing. Because that's my heart. He was so broken by that. He had to hand it off to someone else. He went off the stage. He was weeping. One of the other people came to him and said, you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. He said, I bet you'll never be able to lead that song ever again. He goes, no, I'll be able to lead it, but never the same way. How could she say, count my many blessings? Because she belonged to God. She had a heart that had been changed by God. She had a right attitude. She had a right actions. She understood God's standard of blessing. And she had the right incentive in knowing that God's eyes were always on her. And he was always listening to her.